In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The year was 445 B.C. He was the third most trusted man in the Persian Empire. As cupbearer to the king, every single morsel of royal food passed through Nehemiah's hands. If he were a man who could be corrupted amidst the intrigues of the Persian court, it would have been a very simple matter to dispatch the king. Just a small bit of poison and the entire regime would have fallen. The life of the king was literally in Nehemiah's hands. Now to be cupbearer to the king was no small honor or trust. He alone, of all the king's ministers, had daily personal access to the king. He heard all the secrets. He knew every bit of the gossip. And he knew where all the bodies were buried. But at this moment, he was committing everything to fulfill God's call to be a leader to the Jewish people. Nehemiah had heard that Jerusalem, the city of his forefathers, still lay in ruins. Now, exiles had been returning to Jerusalem for more than 80 years from Persia. But without leadership, without a guiding vision, the Jews there continued to live in squalor, and poverty. With the city ruin, city walls in ruins, the people were at the mercy of their enemies, and the name of the God of Israel was a laughing stock. As a highly trusted official, privy to the secret inner workings of the Persian court, for him to ask for a leave of absence could easily have been perceived as treason. Nehemiah, you want to go where and do what? You want to rebuild the walls of this rebellious group called the Jews? Nehemiah's request to return to Jerusalem could have easily cost him his life. But to be God's leader, Nehemiah was willing to pay whatever price was required to do what God wanted to be done. God's leader must be willing to pay the price that is required by the day. This morning we finish our series in Paul's letters to Timothy. The series, Be the Leader That God Has Called You to Be. And today we look at the leader's commitment. The leader's commitment. So let me invite you to take out this blue handout and put that in front of you. And then to reach out and take that pew Bible and turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's begin at chapter 2 in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust 
to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Every leader has a job that must be done. Every leader, whether you are a parent or a president, has been entrusted with a work that must be accomplished. Now, for decades, leadership books have swung back and forth asking the question, should a leader be people-oriented or should a leader be task-oriented? But that is a false dichotomy. A leader is not either people-oriented or task-oriented. He or she must be both. The definition of a leader is one who helps people work together in order to accomplish a common task. Now, in Paul's letters to Timothy, Paul had a task to accomplish. His task was to get Timothy to stand up, to be courageous, to set the church to rights, and to bring the false teachers to heal. Timothy was an earnest, zealous young man. But at times, he was a bit too timid and fearful. But notice, friends, how Paul begins his task. He begins with people. <laughs> now, no one suffered as much as the apostle Paul did for the sake of the gospel. Paul was beaten. He was persecuted. He was adrift at sea. If anyone had a right to turn to the timid Timothy and say, Son, just man up, will you? Get on with it. Certainly, it was the Apostle Paul. But quite to the contrary, note how Paul begins. He says, Timothy, I want you to know how much I care about you. Timothy, I want you to know I love you. Now, twice in the first letter to Timothy, Paul calls Timothy his child, his true child. And again, in this letter, he begins with the word, my beloved child, as we heard last week. And again, here in chapter 2, Paul speaks with terms of endearment. He says, you then, my child. Now, friends, God has a great task for our church, for Holy Cross. But God begins his leadership of you and me with this critical concern. God's concern is for you to know how much he loves you, how much he cares about you. God has no desire to use us up and throw us away as if we're kind of some paper towel. Rather, God wants to use us as precious vessels, the finest gold and silver and china. God regards us so highly that he wants to demonstrate our worth by putting us there right on the banquet table, front and center. And through the process of using us, demonstrate how much he cares for us, his possession. Leadership begins with God's love for the people that we are tasked to lead. 
Let's look at verses 1b and 2 now. Paul sets out for Timothy his twofold mission. On the one hand, be strengthened by grace. On the other hand, teach and strengthen others. Now, I've noticed being a pastor that sometimes Christians live at two extremes. Every day we hear messages like, it's all about you. Have it your way. you got to follow your own heart. And on and on and on. But I've also noticed that some Christians go to this other extreme, you see. They say, oh, well, you know, I just don't matter. It's all about serving others. I'm just a nobody. It just doesn't count. But see, Paul lays out for Timothy a twofold task. Focus on your own life. Take, your st- take steps to get your own life on track. But as you do, help others. To the extent that you are strengthened by the grace of God, to that extent, you have something that you ought to give and must give to others. As you are strengthened, you find out what kind of vessel you are and how God can use you. And as God uses you to build up others and strengthen them, you yourself are strengthened again in return. Now, it may very well be that this morning you feel like you can barely take care of yourself, much less give something else to somebody else. Well, you know what? That's okay. (laughs) There's a limit to what anyone can give. You are not God, and you're certainly not Superman. The life of discipleship has to begin somewhere, and it begins wherever you are today. But here's real hope. As we grow As we are strengthened in grace, our capacity to love and strengthen others also grows. The secret, you see, is not to give yourself permission to stay in the place where you are today. Not to say, well, I'll never change, I'll never grow. It is God's grace and strength that awaits you. So I ask you, what hinders you this morning from growing? Well, having assured Timothy of God's love and having laid out the twofold task of discipleship, Paul now turns to some very sobering words of reality. Look at verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Make no mistake about it, Timothy. There is a price to be paid to live the life of discipleship. You must share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But note too, 
there are great rewards to be won. Well, what is the cost of discipleship? What does it cost to be a soldier? The best soldiers do not get bogged down in the comforts and the paraphernalia of civilian life. How many people are ex-military here? All right. Remember, you go to a military base and what do you see? I, I mean, all those flashy new sports cars and those glorious brand new shiny pick-em-up trucks, they all belong to the sergeants and the young lieutenants. Who has the oldest, most beat-up car on base? The commanding general, of course. Why? Because the general has a lifetime of focusing on one thing, the task at hand. He doesn't have time for play and outside entanglements, and he won't be driving that Mercedes until he's retired, or he's pretty sure that his career has come to an end. Paul says, you, Timothy, you don't get all wrapped up and weighted down in the things of this life. Like an athlete trying to win the race, you must follow the rules. And here's the rules. Stay focused. Limit the distractions. Now in verse 6, Timothy is given a second price that must be paid. He says... It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share in the crops. Friends, spiritual harvest comes just like natural harvest. It comes by a lot of hard work. I can't decide whether it's amusing or disconcerting to find how many Christians are deceived on this point. Some Christians imagine that the rules of the kingdom of God are totally different than the rules in the rest of life around us. Most of us here this morning would consider it complete folly to make this our financial plan. Well, I'm going to win the lotto next week. And cruise off into the sunset. Of course not. We recognize that true wealth is earned little by little over the course of our lives. Yet when it comes to the kingdom of God, some Christians imagine that there's some silver bullet out there that will suddenly build the church and next Sunday 2,000 people are going to flood right into this place. No, friends. The kingdom of God is built step by step, day by day, prayer by prayer, phone call by phone call, testimony by testimony. And all of it's just hard work. As Timothy does that hard work, then in verse 8, Paul reminds him, and he invites him to recall that Jesus himself is the model of this. Do you recall what Mark's gospel tells us about Jesus' work ethic? His ministry day began long before dawn. And it ended long after the sun had gone down. In verse 10, Paul offers himself 
as a model of these very things. He says, Timothy, from firsthand experience, you have observed my life. This calling to discipleship, this calling to care for yourself and to care for others, this calling requires endurance. And I want you to recall how I have endured everything for the sake of God's elect. Friends, a leader must be willing to pay the price required by the day, wherever it is that we have been called. Now, some days the costs will be higher than others, but the rewards are also great. Nehemiah lived out this. Paul lived this out, and Timothy understood it. But Paul is writing to him now to say, Timothy, it's time for you to live it out as well. Well, I'm sure that many here this morning resonate with these words. You want to be God's leader. You desire to be committed whatever the day may require of you. So I have some really great news for you this morning. Not only are you committed to God, but God promises that he will be committed to you. He promises that he will be with you in your leadership role to the very end. Look at verses 11 through 13. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God says there is an assurance of reward. Whatever your leadership role, parent or priest or president or policeman, God says, if you continue on faithful to me, I will continue on faithful to you, and you will find the reward. Now, I grant you that sometimes, in the short term, our leadership task may seem, well, unsuccessful. Our children may seem to be going astray. The business that we have built and dedicated to God maybe seems like it's going nowhere. The people that God has asked us to speak to, well, they just don't seem to be interested. Or maybe they're just downright hostile to what you have to say. But friends, no leader can measure the success of his or her mission simply by what they see at the moment. Or maybe even in their whole lifetime. William Tyndale had a vision to transform the average Englishman by making the Word of God accessible. He said, if God should spare my life ere long, I will cause that the boy who drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than a bishop. Now, when William Tyndale was tried and burned as a heretic, 
his translation of the Bible in English was outlawed and confiscated. It appeared at that moment his entire life's mission was a failure. But friends, God was with him. Only three years after his death, the very same king who ordered Tyndale's execution paid to have what was essentially a copy of Tyndale's New Testament placed on a lectern at the front door of every single church in England. Tyndale's legacy endures to the present day. Dozens and dozens of the very same phrases you read in your Bible this morning are straight from Tyndale's translation. You have your English Bible in the New Testament to a great extent because of him. You see, God was with this leader to the very end and beyond. And you may be assured that if you are faithful to the leadership task God has for you, there will be a reward whether you see it in this life or not. Of this, you may also be assured of God's preservation of his people. God will continue on with his people, not only to the end of their task, but to the end of their days. When you commit yourself to God, he commits himself to you. Because of his great love for you, because of the honor of his name, because he has put his name on you, God will stay with you through the greatest storms of life. To do less than that would be to, not, to deny himself. And God will not, no, God cannot do that. He will bring you safely to your heavenly home. So as we close this series this morning on being the leader that God wants you to be, I invite you to take stock and to take action. Every leader fit for the name recognizes there will be accountability, a reckoning for the leadership with which he or she has been entrusted. So Paul turns to Timothy and he says, Son, my child, there is a high price to be paid. But there are also great rewards to be gained, both in this age and the age to come. Therefore, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.